everyone, and welcome to Gamers on the Go, a podcast dedicated solely to those games you can take with you. I'm your host, Chase Kennecke. On today's show, we're going to talk about Monument Valley, and I have a new guest today, and his name is Bobby Pease. Hello. Hi, Bobby. Hey. How's it uh, going? So, Bob, Bobby, you're a new guest mm-hmm. um, in terms of Gamers on the Go, but it, the, you're a veteran here. Like, our, our friendship, yeah. our, our relationship here... Has, has gone on for a while. This is one of those things where it's like I've been on the outside looking in for some time, I feel, <laughs> and just kind of tapping on the window like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm so excited to finally get to come on. And we've talked about three or four different games we could maybe do and mm-hmm. uh, finally found one that we had a fondness of that I actually completed. Absolutely. So to, to give the listeners a, a bit of background here, Bobby and I also do a different podcast uh, that I think I mentioned on the last show. It's called The Casual Hour. It's a weekly podcast um, uh, about... We've, we've never really had a good intro for that show, have we? No, the, like, last, it was, the last time it we was had a... It was a podcast about games and the people who casually play yeah. them. Like, we don't casually no, play we're, anything. We're hardcore. We are hardcore. Um, <laughs> we, had, we had some guys on from uh, Level 2, and they, they referred to it on their show as an existential campfire discussion about video games. Ooh, that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, so that that intrigue that intrigues me. Maybe we should steal that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've I've been doing that for over a year now with you mm-hmm. and 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 our co-host Johnny. And not once have either of you guys come onto the podcast. We've we've talked about it right. in different times. I know Johnny Johnny and I were trying to play a game that didn't work out, and and we both kind of stopped playing the game. Um, and then, like you said, you and I have been talking about doing this for a long time, and now we finally found one that we both agree on, and that's Monument Valley. For sure. No, I'm just happy to be a gamer on the go. That's something I've been that's, <laughs> I've been yes. trying to do for a while. You are officially a gamer on the go, and in fact, I'm I'm so proud of you. You've you've been playing. You've gotten a 3ds uh, recently. Yeah. Even playing 3ds games, like you are. I am. Oh, just you, a proud papa over you, here. You you asked me to be a part of the. Uh, game of the year stuff for your your show here and i remember mm-hmm. looking at all the people that were submitting that you had and here i am just like ios across the board at this point in time <laughs> and so like how different this year uh submissions might be considering that you know i have a switch and a 3ds now on top of my ios devices so i'm not faking it any longer i'm actually the real deal yes i'm definitely looking forward to seeing how how your top top games change over time yes um i don't know i don't know how the 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 uh end of the year stuff's gonna work that that kind of felt like a nice like one year thing to try to schedule in everybody to do their stuff but i definitely liked the aspect of getting guest top uh top fives or top ten so i'm gonna keep keep doing that in some capacity sure um i also wanted to get you on from monument valley because you have somewhat of a unique uh perspective on this game because you are an apple employee I am. you uh, you work at an apple store i do you're a manager of an apple store i am i manage an apple store uh, you're you're steve jobs i'm steve jobs reincarnated no oh, okay, i can only gotcha, wish gotcha. i can only wish you've got a better beard than steve jobs i got a huge beard you've got about you've got about the same amount of hair as steve as steve jobs the, on top the late steve I jobs guess. were were very similar up top i'm a little bit bushier <laughs> uh on the chin there but yeah i i would be really curious and we'll get into it further down in the podcast of, of how an Apple employee, uh, somebody in the Apple ecosystem reacts to a game like this, a game that, that shows up at, 
uh, Apple events. Like that is something that Apple pushes as one of their flagship things of iOS is like, wow, look at what you can do with, with video games, even though Apple is, is not really a video game company or doesn't claim to be a video game company. The ones that they do push are things like Monument Valley that, that I would really like to hear your perspective as an employee of what you thought of it. And then maybe how like the Apple store changes the atmosphere of the Apple store changes or like people coming into the Apple store and, and how any of that works. So we'll get into that later. But first, we should probably explain to people, if there are people out there who don't know, what Monument Valley is. Uh, Bobby, why don't you give me the rundown of, of just like the, the elevator pitch on what Monument Valley is? I would say it's an immersive, surreal Escher painting, which they're all surreal, but it's, it's, an, it's an Escher <laughs> painting that has heart and feelings that you can literally touch and explore some human concepts in a very rigid or whimsical fashion. I would also call it a puzzle game. Yeah, simply put, it's a puzzle <laughs> game. Uh, I was going for full marks there. Two sides of the same coin, really. Yeah. No, it's it's beautiful. It's a it's a it's a very pretty puzzle. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It's it's touch based. Uh, it. It's, it was absolutely made to be on iOS devices, but it doesn't take full advantage of them in a good way. Like, it's restrained. It doesn't, it doesn't say, hey, we're going to do a bunch of accelerometer stuff. It doesn't do a bunch of voice command uh, speaker stuff. It is it's all single touch base. There's no pinch and zoom. or uh, There is some swiping that happens, but it's mainly touch. Yeah. And, and I think it's really elegant in the way the game controls. Um, elegance is actually what this game has in spades across the board and in every aspect of it. It makes complete sense of the platform it's on. Definitely. Uh, So Monument Valley, the original game, Monument Valley 2 just recently came out, and I think that really jump-started and sparked the idea of doing this podcast. So we'll talk about both games, Uh, but we're going to talk about Monument Valley, the original, first. That game came out April 3rd on uh, uh, 2014, came out for iOS devices, so uh, iPad and, and phone. It was uh, slated originally just to be an iPad-only game, and uh, eventually Us Two Games, who is the developer and publisher, uh, decided that, you know, actually, the, it's again, it's elegant enough, and people are able to understand what's going on in the game that we can shrink it down to the small phone size as well. So mm-hmm. uh, iOS devices, it's also come to Android and Windows Phone a little bit later, but this was originally... Uh, iOS only, and it was it was kind of like the killer app for for iPhone. I can't actually think of anything that came before Monument Valley that was so it, a game that you could absolutely point to of like this is the reason you should be gaming on iOS. At least not one that that was so publicly out there. Like for me, I think a game like Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP was right. was absolutely like the first game that I pointed to and went, oh, this is why I should be playing Apple stuff. But that one wasn't really pushed by Apple in the way, uh, like, it, it wasn't at, like, the Worldwide Developers Conference or, or something like that in the way that, um, that Monument Valley was. It wasn't as prolific as Monument Valley. No, I would agree. There was, there was that one game that uh, Cliffy B from, uh, was that Unreal or Epic? Uh, oh, it was, uh, you mean um, Chair Entertainment, the guys yes. who also did the... Um, uh, the Orson Scott card uh, 
Metroidvania game whose name I forgot. They did that on Xbox. Right. Um, and then you're right. I've actually done a podcast episode, a, a Gamers on the Go episode about the game you're talking about. And the game escapes me. There's three me. of them. There's, there's three of them. Uh, what the hell is it called? Yeah, it's I, the touchy, slashy game, and it's yes. going to piss me off, and it's, I'm just going to look it up now. It's like Dark Souls <laughs> Fruit Ninja. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's uh, Infinite... Uh, Infinity, Infinity Blade. Uh, Infinity Blade, yes. yes. Aha. And Shadow Complex is the name of the uh, the Xbox Live yes. uh, game. The Orson Scott card. So that was the only other game uh, that like they brought... A lot of attention to like I, I'd say that peaked a little bit it plateaued in my opinion but then this was just unreal like what happened with this game nice well done yeah. thank you unreal yeah I get it yeah would you say it was also epic it was very epic uh, don't it's just I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop that <laughs> I could keep going I'm just trying to think of other games right now <laughs> so as one of the things we do with the show, we kind of talk about the developer and its history so we can understand the where this game kind of came from. And with this one, I have to say, and I've discussed this a little bit with you before the podcast, I, I had no idea what Us Two Games were. I, right. I thought from the name, Us Two Games means there's two people. It's two guys who are in a garage somewhere. They... They had an idea for this indie-style game that you know maybe maybe games out there were too complicated, and you look at you look at games that have all these buttons on them and and so many different mechanics, and we're just going to make this really simplified, really artistic experience right. that's that's so nice, art- artisanal, if you will. Yes, and and just what a success story that it blew up big, that Apple picked them up and and really showed the power of of iOS devices and, and what uh, really amazing creativity could do for, for a game like this. And we need to showcase this creativity in this, in this game as, as a pillar of what Apple is all about. Right. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a great feel-good story for, for these two guys, for us two guys. Us two guys making this game. That's not the case. It, it's not. Uh, uh, <laughs> us two is a, is a relatively large company. They Especially and, and Monument Valley is right. Well, certainly now today, but but Monument Valley was not their first thing. This wasn't their debut. Uh, it's not even really their day job. Us Two Games is is an app developer, right. but they do more like regular software development, working for super large clients and companies, uh, like creating like productivity apps and things like that. Yeah, I was a little and, taken aback when you shared that story with me. It's. I, I shouldn't be disappointed. Like it's. It's still. So what happened is, us two games had all these client projects that they worked on. Mm-hmm. They would. They would be the ones making the apps for these clients, and then the clients would get to get to have the the um, the glory of saying, "Look at this app, quote unquote, we made." Right. Uh, because they contracted out to us too. So us two, understandably, wants to have their own internal things that, you know, we have ideas, let's, let's show those ideas. So they, they did start an indie game studio that was really small. It was, I, I think, eight people, maybe even less than that. Yeah. Uh, so they started a really small internal games project of, you guys, you guys make these things, they'll be under the Us2 banner. Uh, it, it'll be, it's not so much a money-making venture as, as much as it's just something that 
and we want to we want to showcase our skills it's in like, like and, and what almost. we can do. Yeah, a little bit. So, uh, Monument Valley is not even the first game they made. They made two games before it. One is called, uh, I believe it's Whale Trail. Yes, Whale Trail, hmm. uh, which is a 2011 iOS kind of like it's not an infinite runner because it has levels, but it's it's kind of like a runner or like a copter game. Like if you played something like Jetpack Joyride, or um, uh, I'm I'm missing other examples of it. Uh, what's the not well? I guess kind of like Flappy Bird, but what's the other one? Tiny the other tiny bird wings? game. Tiny Wings. There yeah. you go. Uh, so it feels very much like that. It it's. Very candy coated, artistic looking. It looks like an uh, uh, Adult Swim game. Sure, but but less uh, less in a parody style right. and more more in a genuine. Uh, I don't want to say My Little Pony because I feel like that's uh, derogatory in some way or or flippant about the art style. But it's, it's it like looks Steven Universe. childlike cartoon. Yeah, yeah, it, sure. It, it looks childlike cartoony. Um, and, and it's fine. I played a little bit of it. It's, it, it's a game. It's, yeah. it's not going to revolutionize the industry like something like Monument Valley did. It doesn't put people on notice, but it's a game. Right. Um, and then after that, they also made, uh, a kind of minimalist puzzle game that deals with, uh, geometry and light. And it's called Blip Blup, uh, B-L-I-P-B-L-U-P. And... That game has you, it's, it's very much like white and black, and when you touch the screen in these, these kind of grid, uh, it will light up from where you touch, and then it will cast that light across the grid, but there are also uh, obstructions, like little structures in the, in the grid that will stop your light and create shadows. Was this and their first game? To, this was their second game. Whale Trail was the first one. Got it. Okay. Uh, Blip Blip came out in, in 2013. Got it. Uh, but that game seems pretty cool. Uh, I, I didn't actually end up playing it. I did watch some of it be played. Uh, it, it seems like a neat thing. But again, it's it's like minimalist puzzle game number 5,834,000, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. It's, it, it doesn't seem that crazy innovative or, or something that really makes you stop in your tracks. And, and then Monument Valley comes uh, the next year in, in 2014 and just, wow. Do, do you see any informing attributes from the, the first two? Um, not, not particularly. Like th- those, both those previous games are, are touch-only games. They're, they're not using accelerometer or anything like that, but I hardly think that's a, an inspiration uh, what seems to really be the case is uh, I'm not sure if they hired uh, Ken uh, Ken oh god what's his last name Ken Wong right uh, if they hired Ken Wong to work on Monument Valley or he was a designer that worked on the other two games and then it was his turn to kind of come up with something sure but but I think as much as it's us two games it, this is really Ken Wong's game Monument Valley. Yeah, uh, he he's an artist turned game designer. He he's the one who fell in love with MC Escher. He liked games like Fez and um, and uh, 
you know, Echochrome mm-hmm. and and uh, Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery, like we mentioned. And he was the driving force behind bringing Monument Valley and, and the art style of what it is uh, to, to what we know today. So one of the, the driving things about Monument Valley that I, I find uh, both interesting and maybe for, for me personally a little disappointing is this game's really easy. Yeah, no, I think it's... That's one of the things that when I play a game on this platform, when I play a game on iOS, it's like I've seen some things where it gets really muddy. Like whenever you put Max Payne on an iPad, it's not going yeah. to work, right? It's not going to work well, I should say. But when you have a game like this where it can match the simplicity of the device it's on, you stop to really you stop thinking about what you're doing in the sense that you're interacting with technology or you're browsing the web or you're your fingerprint is touching something that's making all these other things happen, you just start to focus on what I think they're going for, which is emotion and storytelling. You're not a... You're, right. It's, it's to, you, to my point and your point, it is extremely easy, but it's more of an, a cinematic, in my opinion. Absolutely. Like One of the things that the developers, I believe this is actually Ken Wong, said something, at least to this effect, was that Monument Valley was developed not to be a challenge, but rather a premium experience. Yeah. That is that is what it is. Like this is this is a game that you can finish in one sitting, maybe two if you need it, but really just to be in one sitting. It's it's ten levels long, which were uh, increased with some some DLC down the line, and we'll talk about that as well. But uh, it's it's a it's a relatively short game. It's incredibly easy, but to that point, it was designed to be easy. It was designed so somebody can get all the way through. It was designed for your mom or your grandma or your or for anybody like my wife. Children, <laughs> yeah, your wife. Children, children could totally play through Monument Valley and and just look at all the pretty pictures and and touch until they figure out the solution. You mentioned and, Johnny earlier, and yeah. He's a friend Even of Johnny, us. yeah, Johnny, Johnny like Johnny so bad at games, so dumb. But <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, even he, even, even he, he, they were telling. <laughs> he was telling me that um, his son and him have started taking some of their morning routines, and their son has an iPad, and I, I can't believe it, but he's already working through these puzzles with him, and nice. uh, Johnny's son Jude has become quite a fan of this game, and. Johnny's tried to even play Minecraft and a few other things, but this game has gripped him in a way, and they've been playing this together. Yeah, I, I, I have to think that the simplistic inputs, that this is really just a game about touching and occasionally swiping on things, it's, it's so intuitive and approachable, like you mentioned earlier, that a, a child can come into this and, and enjoy the pretty pictures, for right. sure, at the beginning. But they're able to interact with it in a in a very simple, easy manner that that can really get them into the game. And for people like you and me, it can just get us into the experience and the story it's trying to tell, or the emotions it's trying to right. to tell, rather than a story. The story is a little light and a little mysterious, and we can right. talk about you know what the what we think are interpretations of the story. But uh, it's a it's a game where the input is so easy that it kind of melts away and it becomes more about the action on screen than how you interact with the action on screen. And the interesting thing too for me is that this was the first time 
I've played a game on iOS where I felt that I was playing what I would say like an actual game. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to attempt to play this on my iPad. I was, I walked away from it and I got the same feeling of satisfaction that I would off of a major console or a AAA title that we would see people, you know, anticipating for years on end. Um, I walked away from my time with this game the first time and literally started it over immediately after completing it because I was just like, that was so satisfying. And that was the first time I had that experience uh, on, on a mobile device, like, like an iPad or an iPhone. Sure. Do you remember, uh, was it $5 when it came out? Um, I know the, I know the second game is $5. It was, it was five or $10. Okay. Like it, it is absolutely a premium price game. Yeah, oh and yeah. You have some people who balked at that, like, wow, look at how much it costs. This is when this game came out, twenty fourteen, this is the time where the ninety nine cent game or even free game was really killing it. It was a very bold move for sure, especially given the, the circumstances, yes. Mm-hmm. Like this is even uh I'm gonna maybe be faulty on, on the exact dates, but this was around the time where game like free-to-play stuff like game of war was starting to get big so for this company to say this game isn't free this this game isn't 99 cents this game costs as much as it does because we put a lot of work into it we think it's worth that right but on this but by the same token this game doesn't have any microtransactions right there's no extra bullshit uh they did bring out uh i believe the, the the first dlc was free no. no. No? Forgotten Shores wasn't free? You had to pay for that too? You had to okay. pay for that. Um, and then I know Ida's Dream uh, was a charity thing with the, with the red campaign. Yep. Um, so that, that had a cost associated with it too. And it, um, but it, even so, it was you're getting what you pay for here. There's not going to be any extra gotcha stuff sure. on the back end. No, the, with the price, it was one of those things where it was also with, with mobile gaming, which is this weird phenomenon like for the last decade, we've developed this price structure of like, okay, I'm going to bring Bioshock to the iPad, and if it costs more than a buck ninety nine, it's not going to be received by that community when that same game was still selling for, I believe, ten to twenty dollars on Steam and on Macs and everything else. It's just very interesting to me what justifies quality based off of dollar right. amounts on this platform. It, it is a it is a race to the it has or at one point and there's still some of that today, but I think free to play is kind of balanced it out honestly. Sure. Where it's like here here are totally free games and then we know there are games that you can pay for for an actual experience and there isn't as much that's in that in between. But back in twenty fourteen it was definitely that race to the bottom mentality of if you weren't if you weren't one ninety nine or below you were charging too much for your game. Right. It was it was the Square Enix charging you know, twenty, thirty dollars, I think, for for their old Final Fantasy games when they came there. And people going, fuck that, we're not paying for that. Look at look at what we no, I mean, like, that's we can a... buy for ninety nine cents. I'll buy thirty right. games for the same right. price. And and part of you could go like, hey dude, come on. Final maybe this Final Fantasy game is a higher quality game than all 30 of those combined. But 
you can still totally understand the idea of why would I pay $30 for a single game when I could buy 30 games or, or more. I'll, uh, I'll say this on that like before you move on from it. It's one of those things for me where this game has informed my decision making today even on what I look for out of a game. And I say that because it is an extremely simple game of 10 levels that can be beaten extremely quick. And at the time, it came with a hefty price tag for the platform. And I remember beating the game, and as I've mentioned, having that immense satisfaction, but also having this feeling of, like, I'm going to have a different filter when I approach gaming in general. And I'm not going to look at it as, like, this is a game that helped me make decisions on what qualifies as something worth my time, or, oh, it can't be anything great. It's not being released by Bungie or Activision or... Rockstar at the time, like these big titles, like this was a game studio that I literally never heard of, putting out a game that had no hype before it. It just kind of showed up. I mean, where Fez had all kinds of stuff built. I mean, Fez was this indie platformer that could, and there's a documentary on it. This game just really is has stuck with me, and it's something I hold very near and dear as an experience, but also is something that that makes me feel confident in my decision making, regardless of the platform. Sure, absolutely. And and while and while you know us two games isn't that two guys in the garage with a dream thing, uh, rather it's a it's a larger company that did a lot of focus testing for Monument Valley, and that feels so antithetical to what the game ends up being. Like, oh, th- this game feels so pure, and it absolutely was created in a lab in a way of we're gonna we're gonna sand off all the rough edges so people right. can get through the game. It it came out as an experience that that really did feel pure and and had just had had you thinking like wow this this game was was birthed so immaculately uh and and this just just the this is just what it was always meant to be yep and even though that's not the case they spent a ton of money on focus testing and and ideas like that uh this game did pretty well yeah I think that's fair to say. Yeah, this game uh, us was two, a, a takeaway hit. But before Monument Valley, the Us Two Games uh, branch of Us Two as a company was uh, was kind of just like a little showpiece of oh we've we've got all this. Also, we have this little internal game studio, and and look, they're doing fun things. Um, after Monument Valley, like this is one of their big revenue streams now. And Monument Valley was so big and sold so well. It it sold five hundred thousand copies in its first month. Um, it it recouped its development costs within two weeks of release. Uh, it, it had over a million sales in three months uh, to to date. Um, and the the last date I could see was May of twenty sixteen. It had sold twenty six million copies. That's a lot. That's a lot of peanuts. <laughs> that's a that's a ton. Um, and, and I mean, it's, it's gone on sale quite a few times as, as sure. many iOS games do, but still that is, that is an impressive thing. And I know, um, a ton of people, um, a ton of people also pirated the game. Like it was, it was one of those early games that was very much a target of piracy. So who knows the, the real sales total of that right. or the real amount of times that game has been played by people is way more than because I, I know getting to android and getting to kindle um there's a lot of well there's also the jailbreak community for ios where you can get stuff too sure. 
Um, mm-hmm. But for Android and for Kindle especially, there's a lot of rooting and sideloading. And uh, I'm not surprised by by that in the least bit across the board. Right. But it's, it's done super well for them regardless of any piracy. Uh, Us 2 Games has now become kind of this pillar of Us 2 as a studio. And I, they, they haven't made anything after Monument Valley until Monument Valley 2, I'm pretty sure. I was really surprised by that, especially knowing, like, this game came out, and you said uh, 2013, what year, what month? Uh, 2014. 2014. For, 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 wait, did I say? No, 13 was, was Blip Love, 14 was uh, April 3rd of, of 2014 for Monument Valley. And so they, they put out the DLC, they put out the charity, or the charitable one, and then I want to say that the development time on the sequel, that started, what, last February or something like that? Uh, I think you're right. And so there, I, I'm very surprised... What the point I'm trying to make is I'm very surprised that they did not take that success and run with it in a different way. Like, not that they didn't by making the sequel, but right. most most developers put something out between two big titles like this. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the that first DLC, The Forgotten Shores, was released the same year. It was released November 12th of 2014. So right. those were a lot of uh, either unused ideas or uh, things that they saw after consumer feedback and how big this game had gotten. Like, let's let's really try to do some stuff in there. Uh, I think Forgotten Shores is... It's still not hard, but it's it's much more challenging than the base Monument Valley game. Sure. I think part of that was a response to to people going, like, this this isn't hard enough. And there's some, some trickier things in Forgotten Shores. But again, like, not, not hard. You can still get through it. But uh, that added eight new levels... Uh, and then there was the Ida's Dream level, and calling it a single level is is maybe uh, not being not being nice uh, because it it kind of feels like four or five levels right. in in one. Yeah. Like the whole idea is that it's this single uh, you're on this single kind of island that has a bunch of doors, and you go into each of these doors, and they all kind of have a separate little puzzle inside mm-hmm. them, and once you've uh, completed all of them. I, I'm not sure if it's four or five. Uh, once you do that, that gets you to the end of the quote-unquote level that is Ida's Dream. Yeah, absolutely. And that was done, I believe they did that one for World AIDS Day um, as Apple has the App Store gone red, is what they, they refer to it as. And yeah. And, and that red campaign is is something that's gone on for a while. Like I remember having like a Motorola Crazer phone that was the red version the the red yeah. within the parentheses that is that is that charitable organization uh, and also at the time they've changed it back now but at the time ida's dress was red in yeah. the in the level which i thought was really cool the, absolutely i think it's gone back to the pure white mm-hmm. uh now that they've they've kind of rebranded it after the red campaign ended yeah it's just regular dlc now but uh, but yeah that that is pretty cool uh, so yeah, Monument Valley got big, like not only in sales wise, but just culturally big. Yep. Like Apple, Apple was behind it. I, I'd really be interested, Bobby, to hear just kind of how uh, your take on on how this affected uh, both the employees at your Apple store and, and the consumers who came to your Apple store. Yeah, and I, 
I just want to put this out there really quick. So by no means am, am I here on Apple's accord uh, for the listeners out right. there. Um, I, I work for Apple. I love that company. Um, but any opinions I share today or anything that I, I have insight to um, is, is purely of my own accord and not, not of Apple's by any means. Um, yeah. So for me, I remember when the game first came out, how excited I was to have this experience on the device. Um, there was a lot of buzz. Um, I'll tell you when the buzz, like initially, like I don't really have people who would come up to me knowing that I work for Apple and be like, oh, hey, you know any good games or anything like that? They're like, it's usually right. like, hey, what's your favorite app? And uh, I have those questions. And as a gamer, I would always bring up some of the games I was playing. And this was a game that did and continue to stay on my iPad and something I talk about out loud. Um, I, you know, we, the, whenever, this is really weird connection, but whenever, uh, Frank Underwood on house of cards played this game on an episode, I think that's when people really started to recognize like, Oh, Hey, what was that game from house of cards? And I'm like, Oh, that's Monument Valley. Um, and that's, that's the connection I've had where it became, that's when it became this kind of huge in my opinion was. Hey, this is being highlighted and planned as a game at the president, or was he the president at that point in time? He, he was the president at that time. The president was playing, and yeah. so I actually have like that's my whole next paragraph of notes is about Monument Valley and House of Cards. Like, that is, I have very mixed feelings on that as yeah. a as a relative fan of House of Cards sure. uh, and Monument Valley. I have some very strong opinions on that. Um, but yeah, in Monument Valley and House of Cards, it was uh, it was a game I think that happened just after the inauguration uh, mm-hmm. in that show. It's it's season three, episode five. If you really want to go in, I forgot what chapter they call it in that in their uh, episode naming conventions, but that that'll get you to it. Um, <laughs> the game. So Frank Underwood plays this game, and. He plays it because he read a game review. The president of the United States at this time is reading game reviews. Uh, and he read a game review by an author, fake author, of course, uh, named Thomas Yates, and likes the review enough that he plays a game. Like he, House of Cards has had video games in it before. A lot of Call of uh, Duty. He's had a lot of Call of Duty. Uh, he plays God of War Ascension at one point because he can't. Like, I guess he gets to the point where he. Uh, uh, either the president or a president elect can't be can't play online games like he can't have the security risk of playing right. online games like Call of Duty so he plays uh, God of War Ascension instead sole, single player uh, and then being the president of course he's still you know you can't even have your own phone when you're right. the president well except maybe our current president who has multiple <sighs> let's let's not talk about that <laughs> um Ugh. But he plays he plays Monument Valley on his iPad uh, because of this Thomas Yates review, and because the review had such flowery bullshit language, which uh, I found out uh, behind the scenes, the Monument Valley developers actually wrote that description for the game that can be mentioned in the script for Oh really? House of Cards, yeah. Um, because of the flowery language that's used to describe the game. Frank Underwood hires Thomas Yates, who's actually just like an award-winning author, but does video game reviews on the side, which of also course. sounds like some real bullshit to me. Um, <laughs> he quotes the game review and and tells him like, "This is what I w- I want you to write a book about me 
and I want you to use the same kind of flowery language. And I think it's the first time anybody's read a game review and thought, yeah, I need to make that guy write a whole book sure. for me. <laughs> that's, well, oh, that's, boy. That's pretty telling of that guy's character anyway. Yeah, it that that whole show, I, I love the first season of House of Cards. Yeah. Uh, I love the first season of House of Cards because it is the first season of House of Cards UK. Like right. that, that, that show is adapted from a British show of right. the same name. And that whole first season is a retelling of that first season of, of uh, the UK House of Cards. And they're both fantastic. You should watch both of them. The, the second season of House of Cards, very good. The third season of House of Cards, yeah. uh, I don't know. The fourth season of House of Cards, oh boy. And I think we're in season five yeah. at this point. Like it, it came out not too long ago. House of Cards is bad now, man. That's not good. I, mm, not good episodes. I, I kind of I kind of hate watch it at this point. Yeah. Or or I watch it to see what they put Claire Underwood in because she like look at holy shit, look at the crazy awesome clothes they put in her or put her in and yeah. Like they they do some really cool visual design stuff in that show. This is not a this is not an episode about House of Cards. This is an episode about someday, Monument Valley. Someday, someday maybe we will do a podcast where we talk about House of Cards, uh, but, but that'll come later. Tying it back for me, like for, with with my perception of it, it was. Um, I know a lot of my colleagues really enjoyed the game. I know that uh, I don't think I came across one person who who didn't play it, um, and I don't even remember if it was on demo units. When it came in, um, when it first came out, it's yeah. it's definitely there now. Uh, Monument Valley Two is right. something you you can go to any Apple Store and play, um, and it's gotten to the point now where we uh, at Apple we offer these these camps and these workshops for various products, and we have a whole line uh, designed for kids and to uh, promote creativity and drawing. There is one where it was drawing of Monument Valley kids. Or style, like it was, uh, yeah, drawing those characters, which was a lot of fun. Very cool. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, like it was, it was, it, it was a big deal everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I imagine like Apple Store was like ground zero for for that stuff where where it's all happening. But um, let's let's talk a little bit more about the game itself. Uh, we've we've talked about a lot of things around the game, sure, but we we haven't really delved inside it. So. Escher style puzzle game. The Escher, for those who are unfamiliar, is the the staircases that go into other staircases. The optical illusion stuff of the the uh, the uh, waterfall that falls into itself. Yeah, um, a it's lot like of the muse for inner uh, inception. Sure, absolutely, and and Monument Valley is definitely not the first game to deal with Escher like elements. There have been plenty of others. Um, I think the the best uh, example of it is Echo Chrome for the PSP. I think that's also come to uh, I know it's come to Vita like as a PSP game, but um, I, I think there might also be a way to play it on a home console of some sort. Uh, cool. Echo Chrome though is really cool. It's uh, monochromatic though. It's it's black and white only, and the character kind of moves on his own. Like he'll make I think he makes left turns okay. on his own. So you have to kind of manipulate the environment to make his left turns get to the point where you need to need to go. But it is a lot of that. I'm going to move this one pillar into this one pathway and 
because of the perspective, it looks like they kind of go together. And now that guy can walk across that as if it was a single uh, fused piece. And then you can move the environment around and see that, oh, no, those things actually weren't touching. Crazy. Uh, I've, never, I've, never heard Valley, I've never heard of it. It's, it's really cool. You should look up some, some video of it, at least. Uh, I know they made a sequel as well. I can't remember if that was on PSP or another device. So it's a pretty um, old game, Echo Chrome, right? It's a relatively old game. I think it was... Oh, I think I have notes for it. It was like 2004, maybe. Uh, maybe that's too early, but it was... Uh, I don't have it in my notes, but okay. yeah. Older. Check out, check out uh, that game. Like That's a, that's a good game. Um, but Monument Valley, like, tell me, tell me about, uh, there, there are 10 stages, 18 if you count Forgotten Shores, 19 if you count uh, Ida's Dream. Sure. What, just, let's just use a stage, a single stage as, as a way of, of kind of talking a little bit more about this game. Tell me about your favorite stage from the original Monument Valley. Yeah, it's uh, chapter four. It's the Water Palace. And uh, I know that there's a few that deal with water, and I think this is the one I, I, I'm hoping it is. It's uh, the totem character that they bring into the game. So during the gameplay uh, of Monument Valley 1, you are controlling Ida, and Ida is moving about this game where there's switches and there's some nubs that you move pieces around with. And they introduce this totem, which what I love about the totem piece is that it, it, it provokes so much emotion with a single little eye. And... Mm-hmm you move this this living creature around the board that will then act as a vessel of movement for you or a place of precision for uh, a button or a latch. Not a latch, but a button. And mm-hmm. this is a, a slowly sinking level, so to speak. And you're getting down to an area of, of water. And it's such really cool polygon. Uh, there's some really nice sunsetting cascade elements that go over the water where it's cresting, and that I just remember thinking, wow, they, that this was kind of like the pinnacle moment for that style that uh, the designer was going for. But it's a moment of, of heartbreak for, for the character in the game where this piece that's been with you, that's helped you like, get through what can be pretty treacherous times, more or less abandons itself for your, your, your safety and well-being. And I, I think it was a, a big, it's almost a halfway point to the, well, is it? Yeah, it's right at the halfway point. It kind of yep. sets the, the, the chain of events that end the story, the main story for Monument Valley. Like, it, isn't that, doesn't it end with, like, you breaking off on this little piece of the structure mm-hmm. and it's starting to float and you're now floating to a new place yep. and even the totem breaks through the wall yep. to, to try to come and, and, and like a, like a loyal dog is trying to follow you. Yep. and just gets swallowed by the ocean as it gets deeper and deeper and it is it's rough it's, it's real rough it, it's very I, it feel, my like, hair's on end talking about it here yeah, sure i mean spoilers for something like shadow of the colossus but it's like when you lose your your horse right. uh, you lose your horse uh ag- agro i think is his name um like that like that's a companion that you've had for a long time sure it, even Long, long in comparison to uh, the length of, of Monument Valley, which is rel- relatively short. But still, you've had, you've been working with this this helper, this right. this one this one companion in this kind of cold, unforgiving world uh, that's very confusing and clockwork and 
like this is your constant like you want to hold on to this thing yeah. and now it's gone and then it yeah that's don't worry about it he shows back up he's yeah he's not dead in a really he's cool fine. way in a really cool way <laughs> um but yeah is that that's forgotten shores right like he or is that the is that in the main game uh, uh the it's i believe the very end of forgotten shores okay yeah you, you, you reassemble each, you're like each going piece. down it's like a four like, block yeah right uh that puzzle sucks like that yeah. <laughs> i got that was uh again not a hard game but of the stuff that is the hardest thing in yeah. monument valley i would i would assert yeah um so my favorite stage is stage eight um, okay. It is, uh, I forgot the name of it, but it is a puzzle box. It is, it's the stage where uh, it starts out, it, it's, a, it's a cube. It's kind of this brown cube, but it has these different places on the cube where you can open it up. And when you open it up, there's a little scene inside. And you can solve a little puzzle, and then you can close it back up and open it up in a different way, and it opens up it's another. Like multiple dioramas, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's very reminiscent of uh, The Room, if you have played. Um, that iOS game, The Room or The Room 2, where, you, where you're manipulating these puzzle boxes. Yes. But it's done in a very Monument Valley-style way. And it, it just embodies what I love about these games the most, and, and that it's these worlds in microcosm. That Monument Valley, each... One of the things that they, that they set out to do was that every, every screen of the game could be hung on the wall. Like, that yeah. is their... That is their kind of saccharine pitch for the game. It's like, oh, they, we, we were setting out to make art so good that you could take any screen of this game and, and frame it and, and hang it in a gallery. And honestly, they, they kind of nail it. Like, yeah. that, <laughs> there's so much gorgeous art in that game. Is this the um, one where the lights, there's like four columns at the top and they light up as you beat? I, I think that's the case. Okay. Uh, I think it's similar to Ida's dream in that way. Okay. It, it lights up the different things as you, as you get okay. through. Um, but I, I just have this fascination with that kind of microcosm world. Like I, sure. I played with Legos as a kid. Like I yeah. had a pool table and didn't play a lot of pool. I would put my Legos on top of it. I would make big scenes out of them. And, right, right. And it was great to just like have this tiny little world that you lived in. Um, I I love terrariums. Like mm-hmm. just I've got one I've got one right there. I can point to it. <laughs> it's it's a big jar and you, know, you you put your little plants inside and it's like you have this whole living world inside this little jar. Uh, and that uh, I just find that that stuff is so cool. And yeah. I, I like I I like the I don't have one, but I like the idea of like a a bonsai tree. Sure. Uh, where you're or like the little like office Zen garden things where you're you're raking them to to make the the patterns and pads in the sand like that all that stuff is just immensely awesome to me so for Monument Valley to have uh, all of all of the stages really embody that but I think the puzzle box stage is really like look at all this stuff that is in one single thing in the game right uh, that just expands out and, and keeps manipulating it I, I think that's awesome whenever uh, so. Whenever you mentioned on the casual hour, you were playing Night in the Woods, and you're like, I don't think I've taken this many screenshots. And I was trying to think to myself, like, has there been a game that I've taken more screenshots of? And this is, uh, whenever we started to research this episode, I remembered how many I had of this game. Like, 
I would take more screenshots of this game if it was in landscape view. Like I, yeah. I want to make it my my screensaver for my for my laptop, but it, it just doesn't work like that because they're all vertical. Um, but I do have uh, actually currently uh, from uh, Monument Valley Two, I have a screen that is my home screen on my phone now, and nice. it, it'll probably be that forever because I just love that that image so much. And we can talk about that when we get to to MV Two. Sure, but. Um, like there are even there are even other games that that aren't that don't play like Monument Valley. They're not really like Monument Valley, but I kind of put them in that same sense. I think Minecraft is a pretty good one of yeah. Again, this is another like worlds in microcosm. Yeah. Um, for for me, not having played Minecraft, but having played a, a similar game, Dragon Quest Builders, I would put that game mm-hmm. in in this kind of idea of like look at look at this world I'm building in here. Sim City is another one yeah. of. Like, look at all the clockwork things that are going on in this game, and it's it's all just shrunk down into a single entity, and, and I think that's awesome. Like snow globes and like where's Waldo books and aquariums, like all of all of those worlds that kind of fit in the palm of your hand. And Monument Valley is it, it makes some really beautiful handheld worlds. Like they are one hundred fantastic, and I think. There, it's either I don't think it's an officially licensed one, but I know I've seen things that resemble a Lego kit for Monument Valley, and I'm sure of that. Like I wish that that's the partnership I want. I know that yeah. uh, I know that we've had Minecraft Legos. Yeah, uh, they've made that deal. But where where are my Monument Valley Legos, man? Because that would be that'd be awesome. awesome. Oh, so good. Um. Is there anything more we want to say about Monument Valley uh, before we jump on to the second game? Um, did you want to get into any theories or stories of what you think oh, yeah. it was? Sure. So the us two games and Ken Wong have been pretty cagey when it comes to uh, what the story is about. They they left it open for interpretation, uh, and there are plenty of fan theories and. I, I don't know if I necessarily have much of a theory. I've kind of pieced together some stuff from other people, but uh, it, it seems to me, so Ida is, is, uh, is referred to as a princess, uh, and she's, she's walking around this world. She's got this kind of cone hat and a white dress, and as you're going through the game, uh, one of the, the few obstacles that you'll find are these crows, uh, crow people that are... Mm-hmm. The same size as Ida, they have uh, these long black beaks that honestly look like that. They look like the cone hat that Ida wears, except they're a beak, so it's on the front of their faces. But other than that, they basically look just like a a black version of Ida. Yep. Um, so one of the theories that I've seen going around is that the this the idea of this sacred geometry that uh, these these palaces, the, the Monument Valley, if you will, uh, was created by humans uh, who who had this technology that were right. like aliens gifted this technology to them, and they they created these massive monuments uh, as uh, to show their excellence. and And I I think that one of the theories goes that the aliens, you know, didn't didn't appreciate the opulence of the humans. And so they took away the, the uh, magic geometry, the, the sacred geometry 
and doomed the humans to walk around their own monuments as these crows that were that were too dumb or, or couldn't figure out how to work these clockwork stages to to get out of this. So they were kind of trapped in these monuments. And that Ida is the the last human who wasn't uh, wasn't trapped or who, who was left alone. Right. Or s- some people have said that she's also an alien. Like maybe she's an alien that is coming to uh, to fix things. But I I think it makes more sense that she's like this last final human who's there to kind of repent. Right. For for what humanity has done and and by going through these stages at the end of the game, spoilers, I guess, if you're going to play Monument Valley, but if you're going to play Monument Valley, you probably shouldn't have listened to the podcast first. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, uh, at the end of Monument Valley, you uh, turn into um, this this kind of kingly, or queenly, I guess, looking crow. Like, you're, you're still in all white, you have a little crown on, but you are now you now kind of look like the crow people and the crow people around you uh, all, all come together and now they turn into all sorts of different colors of, of birds. Yep. Uh, these kind of bird people, but now they're red and yellow and they're, they're free and they fly around. So that doesn't sound like humans. So I don't <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, like, I, I don't know if, if that fixes it either. It's, it's really open to interpretation. what do you think of it? I, I think, what they've said, like what 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 you know, is it's a game about architecture and for forgiveness, and um, I think that there is a lot of of that emotion about forgiveness, and um, you know, Ida is interacting with, I guess, either the memories or the cognitive, like the cognitive ability of connecting with these alien beings at certain points throughout these stages, and again, right. like sacred geometry, like to get really granular with it, like there's. There's people who believe that like sacred geometry is like something that goes throughout all life forms, like the, on a molecular level, even like it naturally is occurring throughout life. And so by removing that or taking that away, like, like midichlorians. Yeah, it's, it's the force, you know, essentially, <laughs> essentially sacred geometry is what made Darth Vader Darth Vader. Um, I would say that like I looked at it as a way of it was taking life away. Whether that was life as you know it, like as what you said, hey, this is our our world that we can interact with, or like from a sense of like, are you dead? Are you dead inside? And I think that I'm very much in line with you that she represents humanity's attempt to redeem itself and be forgiven, but then work together in harmony. And and as somebody... uh, she she represented that to her people and like they were judging her probably i think that's why whenever you came across one of them it was always like this this stop like not going to work out but i think for her and at the end where it shows like this harmony of sacred geometry being brought back in and what that looks like uh with the group like it was really really cool it was a very fond send-off in my opinion um for the game and it's interesting to see how some of those characteristics carry over to the sequel. Exactly. I, I think that's a perfect place to transition here. So Monument Valley 2 came out pretty recently, came out June 5th of 2017 uh, for iOS devices. Is it out for Android and everything else now? Uh, or is it Not yet. Yeah, I don't know if it's out yet, but it, it, it will be. Like it, can't, it can't not be, I would imagine. Uh, again, developed and published by Us2Games. Um, 
the story in this one in two is a little more um, apparent. I would say it's a little more prominent. Well, it's, it's, apparent. Uh, it's a little. <laughs> oh God. Oh man. What did I do? Oh, what a pun. Um, <laughs> it's, it's definitely more uh, easier to, um, to grasp. I would say it's, uh, it's a, it's a story about a mother and a daughter. And I like to think that this game is completely divorced from the events of Monument Valley one. Cause I, I don't see, I don't see the connection there. Originally when I was playing it, I'd forgotten the name Ida, uh, mm-hmm. from the first game. And I'd forgotten the, the finale of the first game when they all turned into bird people. So my thought was this was the main character of Monument Valley coming back to the Monument Valley with her daughter and introducing her to the, the sacred geometry and, and what's going on. But that that's not the case because they are different characters with different names. I think um, this, it's yeah. before. Okay, that's interesting. Do you think this... How, how long before? Like, do you think that the little... The daughter is Ida? I don't think... I don't Does think the daughter so. have a name? The, the mom has a name. The I, can't, name I don't know Ro. if the daughter does or not. I know it's Ro. I can't remember if the daughter had a name or not. I don't think it's Ida. Okay. Um, the only reason I think that is this, is what you were talking about with them being taught a technology of sacred geometry and then how they, mm-hmm. they do it. There's a mechanic, and I, I think it's one of your favorites, if I remember our conversation, at the end of each level, where yes. you create sacred geometry. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, it's, they're making fractals, pretty Correct. much. Um, and I, <laughs> in my notes here, I just called them snowflakes. Yeah. No, <laughs> because the, they remind me of like the paper snowflakes you'd make as a kid. Totally. But I think, <laughs> for me, what's, what's happening is the mother is teaching not only how to traverse, but how to create. And I think that this was in the period of creating in that game that took place before like maybe the overpower of it or like whenever they lost sight of it. But I do think Interesting. this takes place before the events of Monument Valley One, and I—that's just the theory. I could I could see it being a prequel. Uh, that that would be the way it would make sense because like, I don't I don't see how it works afterward. Uh, right. It, it it doesn't work for me on that level. But uh, but yeah, it's absolutely a story about Roe bringing her daughter to the Monument Valley and teaching her teaching her how how this stuff works. And the story then becomes uh, because it's a it's it's very prominent in the in the, the little bit of text you do get in the game. You find these uh, holograms of either aliens or generations past. Like I, right. I kind of like to think that this might be a whole family of, of generations, and they're each they each had to teach their mm-hmm. child about this, and then the child goes on and does it on their own. But it's totally a game about letting go and letting. It, it's about it, one of the things that us two games even mentions. There's some behind the scenes videos that are on YouTube um, making of Monument Valley, and I will try to put those uh, videos in the show notes if you're interested in finding them. Uh, those they, they talk about it as a game about motherhood mm-hmm. and a game about letting your child go off and, and be themselves. And, and at some point you have to say, Hey, I did, I did what I could. And, and now you have to let the baby bird out of the nest. 
No, I think it's interesting too. Um, those videos are great, and uh, watching the second one, they talk about the perspective and the shift that they try to do because one of the I don't know if it was the designer or one of the programmers from from us too was saying how in these in most games when it brings in parenthood or specifically motherhood, it's always usually viewed from the child's perspective. Right. And there's not a whole lot of viewing or what this might look like or entail from a parent's perspective. And uh, there's other games I think that obviously encompass this really well. Like it's not a mother, but I go back to The Last of Us and I think yeah. about like what they did to the viewer or the audience or the player based off of some of the early moments of that game and then what happens when they rehash it later on. Right. I, I don't think Monument Valley 2 gets to claim that it's the first game about uh, about being a parent. Right. Now, it, it's it, and it's probably not the first game about motherhood, but it is one of the more prominent games about motherhood as, sure. as video games seem to be mostly driven around men, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So that it's, it's different in that way. But we do have another game on the other side of the spectrum that is also dealing with similar issues that hasn't come out yet, and that's God of War. Yeah. You have the God of War reboot, where that is literally Kratos taking his son and he, trying to teach him you know, how to live on his own. Uh, and, yeah. and I don't know exactly where that story goes, because that game isn't out yet, but uh, we are seeing more stories about parenthood. Uh, even, even something, I don't think they nailed it, but uh, a game like Heavy Rain uh, right. is, is a game about about a, a number of characters, but one of those characters is a father, and you play as the father and and dealing with uh, losing a child and, and right. how how that works. And, and I mean, there are games about parenthood out there, but Monument Valley is a very elegant one. Generationally speaking, I mean, a lot of people who are in the industry right now grew up with gaming systems, and sure. so like this is their method, this is their medium, this is what they've chosen as an art form where, I mean, you can see characteristics of motherhood and adulthood and parent parenting through art, whether it be music or paintings or photography for decades. But video games as a medium, especially in the art sense is a pretty new one. And so it's interesting to see that around our age now, there's a lot of people who are starting families for the first time. And I, I have to feel that that's informing some of the storytelling that we're seeing right now in this medium. Absolutely. I, I mean, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush because there, there are certainly different generations of game developers out there. But to, to go back and think of when people were making games in the, in the 1980s, like when, right. when games were starting to get big in that time, those, those people were young. They were high school and college kids right. just out of college. And you had... You had games like Zelda. I mean, not not saying that uh, all that there aren't stories everywhere about guy gets girl or guy saves sure, princess sure. or something like that. But but that that does feel like oh you know hey we're single and we're pining after a, a woman or something. And right. now you get to that point where you know, oh you you can save the princess and and live out that fantasy in that way. And as those people have gotten older, like for almost forty. 40 years? No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, cl- close. Close yeah. to 40 years have passed uh, since that time. And and now those people are older and they have families and they have children and they, they have different emotions within them. And right. you're seeing more of those, those kinds of emotions come out in games. Like another, another one that I haven't played 
and I haven't played for very specific reasons of I'm not ready to be that sad is uh, that dragon cancer. I know you can like that. That game would probably rough me up real big and I don't even have a child. So I can only imagine how tough that is for, for actual fathers out there and mothers to to see in game form, like how, how you lose your child like that. Holy shit. You know, it's, it's interesting too, for me to think about, um, to tie it back to a thought and a point you made early in the episode here about the approachability of this game. And for me, like the thought of a mother and daughter being able to play through this game together is a a really amazing, uh, thought for me to, to see that experience. And, you know, like not to not to flip this podcast into something that's more like culturally or uh, you know speaking on on something that might even be viewed as like political, but I think it's high time that you know we are empowering this category of of entertainment and art into into motherhood and into sisterhood and daughters, like letting them have it. Like I think that there's something really great to see um, more female protagonist and uh, female driven storylines where there's relatability to it like i'm just really happy to see that happening and sure i think this is a great game for that in a lot of ways absolutely and and i think one of one of its strengths is its restraint it's it's not a game that says like hey look you're playing as a girl now holy shit like what's going on uh it's it's very Again, it's very elegant. It's very, this is just what the game is. Uh, it's, it doesn't make too big of a deal out of it. And the game is, is good. Like, it is a good representation of that. And a good representation of, of motherhood and being a daughter and, and all these things. And it's, it's not something that, that gets in the... It's not something that is strongly urging a statement. And, right. and I think that makes it very palatable to a very large audience and and yeah i absolutely think there should be more representation in games and this is a good way of of dipping the toe into the water of like Mm -hmm. look this is this is just what the game is it just has a female protagonist and kind of just deal with it it's not a big deal absolutely um so let let's get into more of the game because the the game itself i I think having this mother-daughter mechanic makes the game different than the first one uh, there are so many things in Monument Valley 2 that even though they feel like a slight evolution of my, of the original Monument Valley, it's not, it's, it's the same ideas. You're still tapping the screen. The, the mechanics yep. are, are more or less the same input, input wise. They don't You're still hold your doing hand a little they did. Well, there's more hand holding in the game, but there's less hand holding in the game. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Ro, Ro holds her daughter's hand quite a bit. But yes, you're right. There, There is less tutorialization of, yeah. of the game than, than maybe in the first one. Um, but it's still very easy. It's still a lot of tapping mm-hmm. and some swiping to, to, uh, to scroll around different parts of levels. But mechanically, it's, it's pretty much the same. And the only real difference in terms of, of gameplay stuff is, is that you now have on occasion, two characters to control, or one character with another character that is affected by how you control the first one. And it seems like, you know, if you pitch that, right, after the success hit that was innovative by its simplicity, like, mm-hmm. if you were to pitch, like, hey, Monument Valley 2, now you control two people. Like, it almost what? it almost seems like... 
crazy. Like an easy route. Like, oh, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? No, 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 no. It's it's the sequel to people. It makes sense. They'll love it. I, I don't think that's how it was approached by any means. I think there's a lot of merit and discovery on what they did. And for for all extents and purposes, even though they added the controlling of two different characters and that sometimes at the same time, it still works in the way that it was elegant and packaged in the first one and it doesn't distract or feel like it's just an added in thing. Absolutely. Like that, that 100%. It, it felt, it felt as elegant as picking up the first game Mm -hmm. where, whereas there are, there are lots of games out there that the second game or, or a sequel of any sort comes out and wants to be so many more different things than the first game and it's it's now overly complex and and doesn't quite work yep um and and i think it makes like at the end of this podcast i was going to ask like what what one do you prefer what's your favorite one and i think that's i honestly think that's kind of a a weak ass question because both of these games do make a very strong argument they they play on very similar themes uh, they have very similar mechanics, but they, I think each should be experienced. Like you, you yeah. shouldn't only play one of them and not play the other. And the nice thing too, is that you don't like, you could easily start with Monument Valley two and go back to Monument Valley one. Right. Like you could load up the DLC for the first time and play that. Like there's no particular order. Um, I think once you start a story, like if you start Monument Valley two, play through that. If you start Monument Valley one. I don't think that you should like bounce around by any means because there is some continuity, and they're short enough that you should just like you should probably beat it in a single setting or, or maybe two if you need that. But it's yeah. yeah, and I mean like it's it's a great palate cleanser of a game too. Like if you're in between things that are really big and arduous, like this is a great way to just kind of reset. But you know, it's, it's a good point. Like I really do appreciate the the level setting there because it, I thought about that. Like how am I going to answer that question? Like which one do I like better? And like the only thing that kind of pulls at me in one way is there's no surprise here. Like right. with Monument Valley, there was just that sense of discovery and it was like, oh, I'm being introduced to all these things for the first time. It's a lot like for me, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like the first one stands taller because it came out of nowhere for me. I, I was introduced to a new world and people that were in that world. The sequel gives you more of that and expands upon it, but it's still the same thing. And, and for me, for me, that's Portal. It's sure. It's sure. I think Portal Two, in almost every respect, is a better game than Portal One. Portal One is still my preferred of the two because it was it was the first to do it. It was the one that really captured that imagination of look at what you can do with this game. Right. And, and I there's something there's something about that that you can't you can't quite go home again on that. Like portal two has a lot of different mechanics in it. It feels great. And they, sure. they've done some really innovative stuff with it. I love portal two, but it's hard to just beat what portal one did. And, yeah. and I think, I guess I would go back and say, I, I mean, if you had a gun to my head, monument Valley one is probably the one I'd pick, sure. but they're, they're both really, really good. And, and so much closer together than something like a Portal 1 and Portal 2 for me. Uh, even if I can't really explain why why one gets that treatment and the other one doesn't. But. And I do like some of the design elements they brought in to the sequel. Like uh, Absolutely. Like you mentioned the the fractal sacred geometry stuff that, that I call the snowflakes. That is one of my favorite new mechanics. And it's such this little throwaway thing in the game that sure. at the end of a at the end of a stage, it 
brings out these five uh, pieces of light that are in the sky, and it's almost like you're, they almost kind of look like a constellation or something, and you right. uh, drag with your finger to make these kind of fractal-looking patterns. And those, what, what I think is really cool is that those are persistent through the mm-hmm. game, that once you make one of those, it is now the background of the stage select. Yep. And, and it's, it's a great way of showing your progress and having just a little bit of, of user creativity in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a, I was watching a bit of a walkthrough for Monument Valley 2, just trying to remember some stages that I liked before this podcast. And the person who was playing it, oh, when they would get to the end, they would just keep their, their finger so close to the, to the middle of the, of the design that it would just end up being these pretty, pretty much solid balls of light. And they wouldn't, Really? They wouldn't expand out. They wouldn't look like a kaleidoscope at all. And it frustrated me to no end. I was like, dude, you are wasting the best part of that, like one of the, my favorite parts of this game. That probably eats a Kit Kat whole. <laughs> you know, whoever you are out yes. there, I hope you're listening because right. you're, you're you're doing it wrong. You don't even peel string cheese. You just eat it like a stick of cheese, like a peasant. <sighs> It it also was a, a point of discovery for me because that's not something I knew within the first few levels. Like I didn't know exactly what I, what was going on. Yeah. I I knew I had to kind of keep moving these things for the for the level to end. It has like a little square that comes around, or a pentagon, or uh, hexagon coming around your the shape that you're making. And once it fills in, then you can let go and the level's over. But I didn't know you could actually really make designs out of it. So I thought it was just a, a scripted thing of whatever designs being made out right. of it. Uh, at one point, I made a perfect circle. And oh, that's cool. when I realized, like, oh, wow, I did, I did that. Like, I, I drew it to the point where it is a perfect circle that, ju- that doesn't expand or, or, or change at all. It is just a circle. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. I didn't, oh, wow, you can actually manipulate these and do whatever you want with them. And right. so it, I, that was at like stage six and I didn't get that many more opportunities to do cool ones, but maybe it, DLC that, that well, that more than anything makes me want to go back and play Monument Valley two again. Sure. Of just, I want to make, I want to make some freaking awesome fractals that <laughs> there is. The- I know it's such a small point part of the game. Like it's barely, it's barely a mechanic of the game. It doesn't really make a difference on the whole. And yet it's such a, a adorable little touch for me and I, I just love it so much. What about the uh the tree? The level with the tree. Yeah. I was that so I was gonna ask the same question, what's your favorite level of, of Monument Valley two? And that's that is mine. Yeah. Uh it is it is called uh the uh it's not the botanical gardens, that one comes before. Uh chapter eleven or chapter twelve is called the Orchard. Uh and that yeah. is my favorite level. Uh, it's whereas a lot of more um uh, <laughs> I almost said Marvel because I just had MV written for Monument Valley, and I Makes think sense. of Marvel vs. Capcom. Um, so, a lot of Monument Valley is very structural in its design. Mm-hmm. It's taking these these columns and and its uh, staircases, and it's very Escher like in that way. But it's very structured and squared, and and right. maybe some some rounded bends. But it is it's all very building materials. Yeah, and that stage is the first and really only stage in either of the Monument Valley games that is very organic. Yep. Where you 
where most of the level is is built around opening and closing windows that when the light hits this tree it grows and when it when it's shaded now it it kind of wilts back down into it's so pretty uh, it's smaller size it's it's so great it's so gorgeous uh the, at the end, there's a, a big golden tree, and you keep opening windows to make it grow higher and higher. And it is, it's such a visually cool thing, but mm-hmm. it's also all building around a single mechanic. And I, I just, I, I think that I, that is maybe my favorite stage of all of Monument Valley. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I talked about loving terrariums and that I have one, I have. Well, I have a couple in my home. I own a lot of plants <laughs> in my apartment. I've got like 16 real plants that I take care of. And then I've also got a ton of fake ones that fill in. I like plants. So yeah, it's, so it's cool to we see. Have a ton of them here. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely cool to see a, a stage like that in Monument Valley. And I, I have uh, to think that maybe they did. So I remember in that behind the scenes thing, they're talking about, hey, did you play that level? Did you play my level? Hey, I just did a new level. Do you want to play it? it mm-hmm. That particular level feels like somebody came in and they said, hey, make what you want to make, but here's the box. And right. uh, it feels like somebody else made that level out of all the other ones that are on the sequel here. Yeah, I mean, th- these games are very good about not going back to mechanics. Right. That it is, we're going to introduce something to you, you're going to play around with it, and then you're going to be done and you're going to move on to the next mechanic yep uh, it's very much it's very much like a mario game like a like a mario galaxy uh style that that nintendo idea of we have so many ideas and gimmicks that we can do with our levels that you're not really going to see the same one twice or if you do it's going to be something that's built way upon it um but Breath monument valley was such shines. a short absolutely yeah, yeah yeah uh monument valley having such a small number of stages they don't reuse Right, really anything, right? Uh, especially in two, like the first one, you could say, "Oh, the crows are in a few different levels," and right. you're you're doing some of the similar mechanics. But in two, it, it it seems like there is a new feature of the level in in every single one of them, and you don't go back. Like there isn't a tree, there isn't another tree in any of these uh, right. levels after no, twelve. No. It just shows up in twelve, and that's it. Yeah, that's easily my favorite. So okay, so we're at the, that's going to be short then. That's going to be a shorter segment because we yeah. we got through it. Uh, I will say that I also really love uh, the beginning of that game. Um, the the first level is called the Vestibule, and the the stage itself is fine. But when I was talking about the the screenshot that I had, that was my home screen. Mm-hmm. It is when Ro and her daughter descend down into uh, that really dark area and it's a it's kind of a a pool that has uh, a a small path that goes into this big doorway and the doorway is just it's a really tall doorway and it's emanating this bright orange light and the walls and path are this dark fuchsia color right and it's it's absolutely gorgeous and it's and it's dark which is not something that monument valley usually is monument valley is very vibrant very uh, uh, lots of blues and whites and, and yeah. the background colors are, are very in your face and for this to be a much darker tone it works so well as my home screen sure. that I, I, I'm going to keep that there for a long time it's, it's probably my favorite screenshot of Monument Valley ever there are some, some other really good ones though there was the one level on two where it 
felt like it kept going in, like inwards, and it looked like yep. Like uh, the best way I can describe it is if you're looking into a flower or like a rose or something like that, and how the petals get tighter and tighter near the center of it, and that's kind of how it looks like you're going inwards into a petal of a flower almost. I don't, I don't have the name of that one. I saw, I saw it as I was going through. It's something like the the May de Toll or something like yeah. that. It's, uh, but yes, it's it's kind of like looking into a kaleidoscope, and as you are moving it, you see you see kind of it blooming right. into another design. Totally. Uh, there's also a children's book that I read when I was uh, very young called Zoom, mm-hmm. and it it doesn't have any words in it. It's it's one of my favorite books though. It starts at as uh, I think it starts on like a postage stamp, or it starts in the scene of the beach, and then it zooms out, oh, and cool. you see that it's a postage stamp of the beach. Oh, neat! And then it zooms out again, and you see that it's a letter in this little boy's hand, and then it zooms out some more, and you see that it's in a house, and then it zooms out again, and you see that the house is actually part of a doll set that a and another girl is playing. Oh, crazy. And it just keeps zooming out until it gets to the Earth and it goes into space. And then Earth is, an, is just like a tiny little dot. And then it's just darkness and stars. And it's, it's so cool. That's uh, awesome. And, and that, that level absolutely reminds me of that. Uh, that level comes uh, after... Like, that's a really interesting climactic part of the mm-hmm. game. Like, Ro has just sent her daughter on a on a sailboat to to actually let her go and to let her uh work through the rest of monument valley by herself and now row the the levels after that are are very escher-esque when they they look like drawings they are monochromatic they are the blacks and whites and grays and it speaks to this loneliness that that row feels of now hey she's she's on her own maybe even a bit of depression of well what do you do when this when this thing that you've put so much of your time and effort and love into being your daughter is gone like how how do you reconcile with that and at the beginning it is it is going through these stark black and white stages and then they get to this to this stage that you're talking about and it's her going through her memory Right. And she she gets through each of these pieces. She's actually following a daughter like character that doesn't look like her daughter. It actually looks like a smaller version of her. Right. And you realize that when you get to the end that actually that actually was her as a child and you get to another one of those either aliens or the holograms of generations past and it's kind of telling you like, Yeah, this is this is how this is just how it works. That's how it worked with you, that's how it'll work with her daughter, and that's that's this is life. how the generations go. Yep. Uh, and after that, the the levels with Row are are further in color. Like that that memory one is is in color as well. But past that point, like now she is uh, really reconciled and dealt with letting her daughter be on her own. And now her levels go back into color. Yeah. And the same kind of thing happens with the daughter's levels when you when you do hers. The the early ones for her are also that dark uh, black and white as she's struggling to, to now be on her own. Like how, how do you deal with something like that? And then slowly gets into color and then they reunite near the end of the game. Yeah. I, I feel like we covered, covered it's, it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite games ever. 
And I think it's definitely it's by part being on the platform that I've used for so long. But I'm super happy to get to dive into some of the mechanics on why I like it so much and hear your thoughts on it. Like it's it's such a cool experience, and uh, I'm really happy for the company that made it. Like it, what a what a story to tell that they had such a great takeaway with it. Right. Even even if it's not just two guys in a garage. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Still, 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 very proud of him. It's still an incredible story, and I'm, I'm still very happy for him. Sure, I'd just be happier if it was two guys in the garage. I know, I know. Uh, well, Bobby, uh, I want to thank you for coming on. This is, this has been great. Yeah, uh, thanks I, for having me. I, I. So we have another podcast that we do called the Casual Hour. We mentioned at the top, the top of the show. Yeah. Um, that we do with our our co-host Johnny Amazich. Um. That's a weekly podcast, and you can find that on uh, our website uh, for that, which is thecasualhour.com. I'll also put a note for that in the show notes of, sure. of this episode. Um, but one of the running jokes that we have on the casual hour at this point, or maybe maybe it's only a running joke for me. I don't know if you're aware of it. Uh, <laughs> over, over the last number of episodes... Uh, you have been talking about your about these games that you've been playing in 2017. Yeah, and at different times you've said this is this is absolutely in my top five. Yeah. This is one of the best games I've ever played. Yeah, and then you said it like the next week about another game. Yeah, <laughs> and and I don't doubt that you feel that way about those games. It's it's Zelda Breath of the Wild and and uh, Horizon, Horizon Zero, Zero Dawn. Dawn. Yep, and I feel like. You probably will also say a similar thing about Monument Valley too. Am I am I wrong? So it's it's on my top five right now, but sure, um, it's it's sitting at number four. Oh and my! Wow, there's something even above it. Oh yeah, uh, Night, Night in the uh, Woods is above it. Ah, uh, sure, sure, sure. Um, and the thing of it is, is that I, you know, I don't know. Here's what I say: like I. It hasn't stuck with me as much as Monument Valley did. Like there was a period where, like after I played Monument Valley, like I thought a lot about that game and about like what it represented, and and not that I didn't with Monument Valley too, um, but it's definitely up there. I I don't know. Like I think it's just that that sense of discovery for the first time, like being surprised by it, and it could be. It could very well end up being there. No, I, I totally get it. Like, like I mentioned with the portal thing, and, and you mentioned with Guardians of the Galaxy, that there's there's something about the first time that it's so hard to replicate, and even when it is executed to near perfection, such as the case with Monument Valley Two, there's just something about not being able to to have that first impression again, right. Um, there's there's another game out there that I I absolutely love. It's it is it is one of my favorite games of all time. It's called Risk of Rain. Yep. Um, and I I played that on my Vita. I've also played it on my PS4. Uh, it's a side scrolling shooter. So good. I hope to maybe have a an episode of Gamers on the Go dedicated to that uh, in the future. And they just recently announced the developer for that game announced a sequel, Risk of Rain Two. But that game is going to be in 3D. Yeah. And it's it's no longer this 2D side-scrolling shooter. It is a 3D... I, I guess I, I would imagine it's going to be kind of open-worldy shooter. Like, kind, it's it's still like an a adventure rogue, platformer in a way? 
uh, I mean, it's still a roguelike, roguelite, whatever you want to call it kind of game, uh, but it's it's now in 3D. Like they are they are really changing up the gameplay entirely sure. for Risk of Rain two to the point where I feel like I could play Risk of Rain one and not feel like I'm playing the lesser experience. And I I when it comes out, who knows if it'll be good or not. But if it's good, when I play Risk of Rain two, that is. I feel like that will be a wholly different experience where right. I'll be able to enjoy both of them equally. Whereas, like we mentioned, it's hard it's hard to say you like Monument Valley 2 better than Monument Valley 1 because of the first impression, even if the second game is executed near flawless. Yeah, it, it takes it basically for me to a place where it's like I package it. It's just like I'm looking at Monument Valley right now. I'm looking at this whole circumference around dlc the original and this one and it's like i put it I, I, i'm having a hard time separating them and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing well i at this point if you're new to monument valley they're short enough they're close enough together just just go and play both of them back to back that yeah i i i did that for this podcast Right. Uh, where I, I went back, I played through Monument Valley 1 and then played Monument Valley 2. Or actually, I just did that before Monument Valley 2 came out. And you kind of play them consecutively. Right. And even though the stories don't line up and they, they're not meant to line up, like it's it can feel like a single experience. Right. So just, I get just that. do that. Yeah, <laughs> you, I, don't, you don't have to choose. Just play them both. <laughs> I think you should. I think that's, that's a game that you absolutely should play. Grab it on a weekend. It's really a good morning game. I think it's a, a great game to start your day with. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a game that is built up into chapters. Both games are built into chapters. If you wanted to, you can say, I'm going to play one chapter and then stop and, and play it over a number of days or sessions. Uh, but I, right. it's also a game that you could totally, like I did, burn burn through it in an afternoon and and just get a very good experience out of it either way. So. Sure. Bobby, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, we okay. mentioned the casual hour um, and and where you can find that, and we're we're still doing our weekly podcast there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also another thing, I don't think I've mentioned on on Gamers on the Go yet. I do some writing for the casual hour. I've been working some on very good writing. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I do, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's I, I'm doing this featurette where I'm playing twelve. I'm playing through 12 RPGs and then writing essays on each of them. Um, games that I've either played or, uh, or games that I've, I've never played before games that I am going to replay and, and get a sense of, or, or going back to games I never finished and, and actually putting in the work to, to get them done. Uh, I've played games like Chrono Trigger and, uh, far, uh, all out, uh, New Vegas and Persona five and, some other games. Uh, oops, I just <laughs> accidentally just said the, the the name of the game of the uh, of the, the next the uh, of the next uh, uh, twelve and twelve. Uh, so the essays have been a little slower than the game playing, uh, but I think I've got four four of those essays up, and there should be a fifth one very soon. Which I guess since I just said it, will be on Persona Five at least loosely about Persona Five. Uh, so okay. yeah, that's. Yeah. That's getting done. It's been fun to do. And uh, you can find that at thecasualhour.com under Casual Thoughts. Uh, and that's where all of the writing that we do for the Casual Hour uh, shows up. 
Uh, as for Gamers on the Go, you can go to GamersOnTheGo.com and see all of our content there. Uh, sometimes I'll write a little something in there or reblog uh, something from Tumblr that uh, catches my eye that deals with handheld games and, and looks fun and cool. A lot of Pokemon stuff shows up there because uh, Pokemon is, is very rampant on a, a service like Tumblr. Yeah. Um, but that's cool. I like, I like Pokemon. I like, I like, I like gifts. I like gifts of, of Game Boys and other bullshit. Who uh, doesn't? But definitely go check that out. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, that's at GOTG Podcast. And uh, if you want to follow me specifically, I am at Chase underscore Kenneke. That is K-O-E-N-E-K-E. Bobby, do you want to, uh, any other thing that you want to plug, whether it's any other casual hour stuff I missed or anything personally? Yeah, we're getting ready to hit episode 60 of the casual hour, um, which is super exciting for us. We're pretty active on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can find all of our, our antics there. Um, for me, I'm more active on that channel of Twitter than I am my own personal one. But if sure. you if you want my personal Twitter, it's at Bobby Pease. Um, you know, for, for I'm really looking forward to the end of the year games that we got lined up for it. Uh, I think we've already talked about our game of the year episode. It's a, a few months out. I mean, we're like a half a year away from it at this point in time. But it's <laughs> right. All, There's it's, a long time it's before it happens. A, but an episode that we keep referring to in the future, like we can't wait for this year. You know, maybe maybe it would be a good idea to do like some midseason awards. Mm-hmm. Of of what what intrigues us from the first half of 2017. That, I don't think it's a bad idea because we'll there could be some cool. stuff that gets swept under the rug for sure by December. Absolutely, yeah. Who knows? Mind Me Valley Two might not make your list at the end of the at the end of the it year. It changes pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, thanks right. for having me, man. Well, I really appreciated it. Absolutely. We will have you on again uh, for for sure. This was a fun time. Uh, thank yeah. you all for listening, and we'll be back soon. Oh,